0: Welcome back to the Anacon Chelsea podcast with me, your host, Jan. Um, Interesting podcast today. I have on the excellent Joe Tweedy. We um, talk about pretty much everything when it comes to Chelsea and recent happenings. You know, Chelsea of the past. Uh, Joe recently wrote an excellent article um, sort of dissecting Chelsea's DNA and success. In recent history, um, and we sort of delve into that, try and uh, apply it to Chelsea at present. Uh, we talk about the you know the game at Wembley, obviously. We you know chat about Kepa briefly. Uh, we look at Spurs and we look forward. So it's an excellent episode. Um, I hope all you guys enjoy it. And yeah, let's get straight into it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, delighted to be joined again by Joe Tweedy to the podcast. We've got loads of stuff to talk about. Um, not least a lot of good content in an article he recently wrote, uh, which we'll plug at the end of the podcast and Joe will tell you, um, where to find that. But yeah, Joe, good, good evening, mate. How you doing? Yeah. Glad to be back on, mate.
1: And, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, another quiet week in the life of a Chelsea fan. So I imagine <laughs> we probably don't have that much to talk about today.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Uh, you know what, um, before we get into it, like this, this could, this could have been, um, a lot different, couldn't it? This, uh this this the sort of context of this podcast you know because like many chelsea fans we we were fearing the worst about that game that final but then again you know in retrospect we could have won it so it could have could have gone many sort of ways but um before i start picking your brain do you feel positive about the result
1: yeah i think i mean looking back and, and having probably what a couple of days now to to reflect on it, I think, yeah, many people went in fearing the worst. You know, you've just mm. been absolutely torn to pieces by this side 6-0. And, you know, I, I looked at the sort of the performances leading up to this and you know, nothing's really sort of sticking out in terms of, you know, we're sort of going to turn up and then put in this sort of spectacular performance. But mm. I think, you know, probably for large parts of the game, I'd say with the majority of the second half, certainly in the in the extra time period I actually thought we were the better team yeah first time in in a long while which I think actually we we matched them in in key areas and yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think that while the result was disappointing, particularly to lose on penalties, yeah. um, you know, the yeah, the, the the performance I think overall was was probably one of the best that we've had um, in in a, in a sort of good uh, well against good opposition yeah. this season under sorry I would say.
0: Okay, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's got arguably since maybe the the two nil um, yeah. win, although that was more of a, the second half we were we were better in that. But yeah, there's loads of things to take out of this game just to let the listeners know the format of today's podcast. Uh, a little bit looser, but me and Joe, we're going to talk about this game. Uh, a, a bit of a bit of drama in it, which I'm sure you all could guess <laughs> the, uh, the subject matter. Um, players, player roles. Um, this, I guess, would be sort of part one. Um, and I want to talk about a couple of bits Joe talked about in his, his article. And in part two, we'll look ahead to the game tomorrow against Spurs and then just sort of look forward with this team. But um, there's loads of things we can pick up about... Um, so let's get it out of the way before we talk about the players that did play and Sarri's approach and everything else. Let's talk about Kepa. So, <laughs> I mean, I think what what isn't up for debate is that was like um, how he reacted was completely unacceptable. Um, uh, I, I, I went to the game and uh, where I was, the fans were you know Chelsea fans. Would I you know I was like queuing up with a load of proper football men, you know, well not a load, but there was like a few of few few older geezers chanting fuck sorry ball on the way. not a lot, but you know, it was like it's cup final day. Setting <laughs> <yeah>. the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was with my brother in law, who's a big Chelsea fan, he bought me the ticket for for my thirtieth um, in a couple of weeks and he um he <laughs> he's just like, Oh god, like before, you know, standard these guys have been drinking all day. But anyway, yeah, you're right, setting the scene, but we went in and the cup final atmosphere, everyone got behind the team. It was really good to see, actually, and we'll get into it, but the players that came on and how the team dug in and showed heart, it was a very pleasing performance to all Chelsea fans in the stadium. But I think everyone was on the same page when we thought, just get off Kepa, you know, you, it doesn't matter why you want to come off or, you know, just you have to come off. And before, I do want to get all your thoughts on it, but before I, before I do, um, I got into a debate about it kind of was, almost became redundant online but I do genuinely feel I know Kep has been injured and stuff but it would be a sort of master stroke <laughs> might be over exaggerating a little bit but it would certainly be a very good tactical switch saving that fourth substitution putting on a goalkeeper that is you know the sort of narrative is is very good at saving penalties And but more importantly if, if Kep has got a bit of a knock not only is he good at saving penalties he knows the opposition And even if, like, that's become a bit... I know, and it's also worth mentioning, he was the hero in that final two uh, seasons ago when he made three saves in the shootout, which is, you know, it could be clutching at straws there. But I think the most prominent thing would be he knows the players. And even if that's slightly redundant in the sense of they've changed their techniques or there's a refreshed squad, just the fact of how that's um, a point in the story that I reckon it's just an element that would get into their heads one way or another, just the fact how they thought about it already is like a seed fermenting in their heads. I, I basically i thought it would have been a really good idea to to bring Caballero on and after his sort of petulant tantrum kepper i reckon that again would have been an additional attribute to prevent to make his penalty um saves worse or whatever but so i i thought that it might have been screwing up a, a really positive tactical move whether that was completely in the forefront of um sorry's mind, I don't know. Uh, you would imagine that she'd have been cleared up this kind of stuff before and sorry did say in his presser today that that you know, it would have been good to have William for that those reasons, but he's still doing the misunderstanding for he was a knock, you know, a uh, cover up. But how do you feel about it, Joe? You know, I assume you think it was like a. I mean, I've never seen anything like F a match at all. I mean, but... It was. It was bizarre. It was it? bizarre. I mean, yeah. the, the
1: one word to describe it was bizarre. And mm. I mean, my, my personal take on the situation was: I felt Kepper was actually. He went down twice in it. I think he was play acting a bit. I think yeah. he was trying to. To see the uh, the time through until the uh, you no, know, just basically just trying to get to penalties. You know, injury, penalties yeah. And uh, I think some someone mentioned it on the TV that I, I've not really seen a goal goalkeeper have cramp before. So you know, that's read that, Down. Yeah. And, and my I suppose my issue would be that if that's if that's what's happened, and in, if he's if he's clear, then the communication between the physio who's come on and sorry, obviously that's that must have been non-existent because you know you either tell him that you know he's fine, we're just Trying to take the sting out of the final few minutes, or you know, he's absolutely fine. Mm. Um, so I think from from kind of the the off the offset of the whole situation that, that there was something clearly wrong in in the communication because Kepa looked fine. I mean, when, when he started protesting, I mean, his movement and stuff like that, there was nothing to yeah. suggest that he was injured. Mm-hmm. His his reaction to, to being substituted and, and and you know whether he I think he, he he lost the plot a little bit in terms of maybe he he thought he told the physio or something mm. like that, but the it's it's just bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre. It's it's unacceptable. Mm. Uh, you know, I've not seen Zola look that sort of you know yeah. downbeat and and just you know angry at a situation yeah. before Caballero sort of standing on the on the sideline ready to come on and yeah. and it was it was a weird situation. And I think in in you know I don't want to sort of delve too much into it because I think the club have handled it pretty well since it's happened. But mm. it, it detracted somewhat away from what had been. You know 120 minutes of it, a very very good chelsea performance and you know this this kind of weird sort of ending of, of of how kind of situation arose and not only that i mean it puts enormous pressure on him to deliver mm. in a penalty shooter and as you say you know caballero is is regarded widely in, in football as a, as a penalty saving specialist and you know, if if you are you know, doing sort of this whole Tim Cruel thing in the World Cup, where he yeah. comes on and, and saves the penalties, and obviously as you say, it's a bit of a, a bit of a stroke of genius from the manager, but it it just came across as, as completely weird on, on on the television. And I think you're right. I think there was an element of Sarri maybe trying to capitalise on on a, an injury to to bring on Caballero. I'm not sure if it would have been a predetermined thing, mm. um, but but the whole situation, I mean, you know, showed a complete and utter disregard for. The sorry as a manager mm-hmm. um you know I, I think that the the players on the pitch really maybe bar David and louise who who sort of tried to do something at least tried to do something about it mm. it was that was a peculiar situation I've never seen so many players sort of be looking elsewhere and pretending that that the obvious wasn't yeah, happening their was own reason yeah. yeah, I think it was just i just think it was a peculiar way to to get towards uh you know a situation in terms of the penalty shootout in, in just a, a bit of a weird vibe must have been, mm. been around the penalties. You could kind of see, you know, when Kepper was going back to the huddle, um so, you know, Sari's obviously trying to kill him and really yeah, Sari back.
0: Yeah, speaking Italian speaking Italian yeah, to him and Exactly.
1: It? You yeah. know, this this whole kind of circle of of just strangeness and Kepper just walking along like nothing's nothing's wrong, yeah. everything's
0: yeah. I tell you what, I tell you what, you, you, you know. So I think everyone's on the same page. Whether what his intentions were, what you know, no one really knows. It is good how they squashed it and they're sort of given it such a sort of sterile approach to the media that they can't really do that much more with it in terms of printing and and headlines and stuff, which is kind of which is good. Like you say, they've handled it well, but. I've never seen anything like it. We can talk about um, players' responses and and you know maybe a lack of leadership or I know that's becoming a bit of a cliche in um, in terms of in Chelsea recently or certainly the captaincy role because you know we both know what would happen if J T or Lampard was on that pitch they would, would have picked him up by his ears and carried him off. So um, it it is an interesting one and, you, and it, it is a shame because it has put um, it's so typically Chelsea in the negative sense because it does yeah. it's just it just. It was a shit show, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Is and, yeah. and it was such a great. It was going too well in terms of um, in terms of a uh, how sorry's approach was. And before we get on that, just to just to end on Kepper, it, it was petulant. He can't be dropped because of obvious reasons. I don't think he'll do it again. Um, we can talk about the characters of other players, but I'm ninety eight percent uh frustrated with him and can't believe he's undermined the coach like that. Um, you know, John Terry and Vincent Company's comments both pinned it down perfectly of how they spoke respectively of the situation and how, you know, ridiculous it was. But there is there is a sort of um uh a perspective that is circulating around the uh Chelsea fan base a little bit and I can understand why how there is something a small positive about how he reacted um because we're talking about players you know being a bit passive maybe um not giving it all but he was so invested in being the man for Chelsea there that he did the wrong thing um which which was very much the wrong thing to do um and he's you know made us look bad he's made the coach look bad he's made the club look bad but if he just like passively put his head down and confidence dropped but he there was an element of like no bollocks to this I'm the leading man you know I'm incredibly good I want to fight for this title in this final. Um, I'm not... (laughs) For me saying these words, it sounds like I'm condoning it, but I'm absolutely not. But I reckon there's elements of a positive attribute in there that could be nurtured moving forward in terms of having a bit of grit and pride. Um, But it's difficult to dig it, (laughs) to uh, to overlook all the sort of negative aspects of that. But I I don't want to overcook Keppa, so let's let's look at the game. Um, Prior to the game, we all know the context, you know... We've slapped about by City at the Etihad, it was a um, it was a dismal um, and historic loss. Um, uh, if it, was it was it Malmo after City or is it it was and then United after Malmo? Is that right? I can't remember I think which. So one. yeah. Okay. Well, regardless, it's been up and down, up and down, and uh, no one really knew what to expect. There's the joke about the Kovacic Barkley substitution circulation of whatever it is between sixty and seventy minutes. Um, who is he going to play? And he shocked a lot of people in that game, Sorry, because he reverted to type in terms of the success... at uh, Stamford Bridge, excuse me, with the false nine. And I think people saw that, and unlike before, people reacted differently, because towards the end of Sari's false nine experiment, and even Conte's, people were just hating it. But the fact how he did it, you thought, oh, hold on, he's trying something radically different again, so hopefully we don't get turned over. He started Emerson, which is obviously... um you You and I have discussed that before, and how you know, when the bloody world football pundits are catching up saying, oh, I don't think Alonso should be starting for Chelsea, you know, <laughs> and they're like usually a few months behind, you know, finally everyone's got it. Um, you know, that in terms of form and stylistically and that you like, we've done it to death. So he started Emerson. And I think most notably out of all the approach changes from, from the, the manager, or apart from the obvious, uh, less pressing because we don't want to get turned over, and you know, stay in the game for 45 minutes and then we can see what we can do after that but it's the substitutions um, it, it wasn't a shirt that came on, in fact his first substitution was Callum Hansen Adoy who had played a full 90 minutes against Malmo had an excellent game um, and as I say you would have forgiven him because we all know we want him to play but you would not have for him to put him on the bench after playing 90 a few days ago but for him to be his first sub granted it was late in the game but that was, I feel like, um, a really positive move from Sorry. And then you put Ruben on uh, and an Higuain on for, for the extra uh, half an hour and extra time. So for a while, there was Hazard, Emerson, Hudson-Odoi, Loftus-Cheek. And, you know, all did great stuff in that game. Maybe Hudson-Odoi was a bit quiet because you can maybe get into the game as much. But uh, Loftus-Cheek looked excellent and they were all on the pitch. And we looked. that's sort of when we were looking the better team as well, like you said. So uh, I want to get your thoughts on how he changed the approach and how he put these players on. I mean, um, do you think this would change the minds of fan bases and, sorry, Chelsea, the Chelsea fan base? And, do, so, do you, go on, yeah, just, just give me your thoughts on that Yeah,
1: it, I mean, I think the the peculiar thing about this season is that I would say two of our best performances, and both of them strangely have come against Manchester City, mm. both of them are almost the, the antithesis of what Sarri is, is trying to to implement at Chelsea you know yeah. the, the, we dropped the high press um, it's it's a lot more of a, a conservative outlook it's it's not playing without the the focal point striker it's 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 really a departure from from I suppose his his overall philosophy and and I know we're going to talk about sort of long term but but mm. that's me is the concerning kind of thing from from this season is is that it's taken him to I'm not going to say radically depart from from what he's he's doing. There were elements, obviously, during the game. I think some of the football we played, some of the one touch stuff, yeah. particularly the the chance that led to or that should have led to, to Pedro having a shot on goal, mm. was fantastic. But the the overall sort of concept and, and I think the overall way that we, we approached the game, you know, I would say the six 0 was a kind of classic Maritza sorry setup. You know how he mm. how he deployed the players, how his instructions were were made, his substitutions. Yep. And yet, on Sunday, as you say, that Hassan Leroy substitution, Loftus-Cheek being the, the guy who actually come on in midfield for a change, which was, was really nice to see, mm-hmm. um, and, and Higuarin, um, you know, it, it's, it smacked a little bit of someone who was trying to keep their job. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to sort of overreg the point here, but, you know, from, from people that I know within within media circles and, and even sort of people I know within football, a lot of people were saying, you know, if Chelsea were to... Have a bit of an embarrassing defeat against uh, Sunday. Don't don't expect or you know don't be surprised if so, if sorry out the door on Monday morning. Mm. So I, I can imagine that he also is feeling the pressure. So it felt a bit like you know if, if I'm going to go down and we're going to lose here, then you know at least I've I've thrown on Hudson the door and at least I've thrown on Loftus cheek and I haven't started Alonso and now mm. you know that the whole kind of selection and approach was 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 almost kind of to defy the the sort of typical way that he he sets his team up and maybe the typical. Kind of approach that we've been associated with him. So, yeah, I, I think that that was one of the first interesting points. Is the success was kind of you know in, in spite of his typical way that he approaches things. Mm-hmm. The the interesting thing, and I know we're talking about this in a second, is is how he follows this up with the Tottenham game. Mm. If <laughs> if this is a one-off approach and this is just a, a blip, mm. it's weird to say that a good positive performance is a blip. But if it's if it sort of sl- slightly flies in the face of, of how your you know your heart, how your entire philosophy of, of football is, is meant to be played, then. It potentially can be seen as a blip, so I think a lot of it we'll will kind of see how we change together, the city and and Tottenham. Uh, yeah. How they how they kind of link hand in hand. The subs I thought were, were great. I think mm. the team that at least the team that ended the game was probably, in, in my opinion, the, the best team that we have. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the football that we played, I think that the, the I and mean, again, you know, the 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 thing to note here is that this is this is kind of match-winning football. This is this is kind of, well, because it's like a proper football against a really, really top side. Mm. You know, City are probably one of the top three or four teams in Europe at the moment. And the mm. fact that I think for for large parts of that second half and particularly, um, particularly when Loftus cheek came on, that we were very, very dominant. Um, we had control of the game. We were actually, you know, registering a lot more, I would say, from a lot more threatening attacks than them. Yep. Um, and generally, I felt actually that this was one of the games that we had control of. You know, we actually were were pretty much in the driving seat. I think even... You know, a lot of pundits were saying second half and extra time Chelsea with a better side. Mm.
0: Yeah, what right, I would see going
1: forward is 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 that same approach. Is is have the confidence to play Loftus Cheek in midfield. Don't just shove him out of the wing. Have the confidence to start with Hudson ledoy Because I think you're right. He wasn't he wasn't electrifying, but his directness is such a massive difference compared to Pedro and Williams. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. You know, this kind of not dawdling in possession, but you know, Pedro I think was was pretty horrible to be perfectly honest. Mm. The chance that he he didn't take or didn't didn't you know didn't take the shot and was was pretty crucial that that could have been the game mm. um and i think winning again when you've got hazard who likes to slow the game down and then and then accelerate when you've got someone on the other side who's, who's trying to do that as well mm. um there's, there's not enough attacking cut and thrust for me so mm. i think the door is actually quite a nice foil for hazard in that respect because when he gets the ball we know he's going to go forward we know he's going to attack so yeah. i like balance and, and yeah finishing with with palmieri you know i think again probably his best performance to Chelsea and it, and it was a very very good performance a very complete performance from a fullback mm. uh, nice to see a, a player who has the confidence to actually to play forward and, and and be able to get up and down and also I think very solid defensively you know very he did solid. get mm. got beat once by Sterling but you know, this is a guy who's in probably the form of his you know form of his career at the moment and he's going to take most fullbacks one on one three four five times a game so mm. fact that I think Palmieri got beat maybe once by him was, was very very good um, and generally I just think that the whole balance of the team looked so much better when you yeah. had Armieri, Loftus-Cheek and Hazard on the left hand side you know I think uh, Kante and Jorginho were, were excellent for large parts of the game uh, oh, the dead Balance. and then the only disappointing thing was I think when Higuain came on you know I mean he, he, he might as well not have come on for the impact that he had but you know yeah. if, if, we, if we had a different forward option Maybe uh, maybe the rest of the season would look a little bit more positive, but that's the only position that I'm concerned about if he plays his team going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean that's great. There's that great photo of the uh, of the team lining up at penalties, and you just like I think I tweeted like that you just want that to be your 11. You know, They're, yeah, like, that's my team. Um, yeah, Iguain. I feel like I feel like he will still score goals, and uh, you know, Hudson Adoye will put some on his head and stuff if he does play. Is it? There's a few things I want to pick up on. You're right about. I feel like sorry, it did sort of sort of a stank of a of, a, of a coach doing all the right things to like appease everyone. You're right, but I feel like there's a certain like um sort of a uh, undeniable elements. Like obviously, I think everyone knows he. I think you know there's that rumor that he fell out with Alonso because he was been so poor. But uh, Emerson has been very good. Alonso has been very poor. Even prior to this game, Emerson's had really good games for Chelsea, um, you know, barring Bournemouth or whatever, but and he would have seen that, so I feel like he probably wanted to start Emerson, I think Emerson might have started in the City win as well, so there's certain elements, and obviously uh, it's not just media hype, he'll be seeing there's undeniable positives to Callum hudson Do so I feel like he probably there was a big part in his head, like oh, if I put him on, this is good, but then, I don't think he was completely um, conceding to all his ideals to, to make this Presentable. I feel like he's like he is happy with a lot of making these changes. But um, I, I wanna I wanna talk about um a few things about what you said in um in your article and part one. So I reckon part sure. one's gonna be pretty big. But before before we do get into that um, uh, my my issue my issue with sorry is I I feel like he would be happy. To continue like this, to continue with these players, and and also and also with Ruben as well. Like I feel like he might have actually been making you know, making that spot his own prior to his back recur- injury recurrence. So there's a lot of all these things that I think maybe would have been going the right way anyway, but um, but I'm just not sure they all, all everything's fallen in the right place. But would you be happy for sorry to continue? his attempt of implementing his football and this, I want to talk to this, talk to you about this as a whole and, and uh, in relation to your article and stuff, but would you be happy for him to continue trying to do this? But, um, but being flexible in the, in these kind of games, like say if he is here next season and we're in champions league, maybe champions league games, or if we do come up against an inform, say United at the time or against city or Liverpool, um, and he's just a bit more pragmatic in certain games, um, I know a lot of people have lost faith in him, but could you, would you be happy for him to continue trying to implement his style, maybe getting a couple more players in? You know, the, we could talk about the transfer ban, but even if it does come in, I feel like it would probably get pushed back for a window. Uh, we could, would you see a realistic side of him continuing his project, but learning lessons on the way and, and then, you know, being flexible in these kind of games uh, in between?
1: poof um... I mean, I think the the very cutting answer is no. I mean, I, I can't see him mm. personally changing it. And and the real the real sad thing is, is I, I think you know the the end goal of this side of football that he's trying to play is it's fine. They know that there are people who are who are generally opposed to sort of you know possession based attacking whatever football. Mm. I'm not I'm not personally against the, the kind of the you know the, the the outcome of what he's trying to achieve. Mm. My my concerns with him have been that he if he'd been flexible from from day 1 and realized you know that you can't just play the the, the same uh, you know exactly the same way every single game and expect to, to mm. kind of make make progress in the premier league then mm. i think we'd be we would be in a markedly different position today if he would adopted you know some of the 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 more let's say the more conservative version of of his philosophy yeah um, in, in, in just some games this season, I think we'd be in an entirely different place. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. But do you not think? Do you not think as well? Like, um, you're completely right in saying <laughs> that. But do you not think it's so difficult from his perspective because he might be seeing something on the training pitch and know his approach, but then he gets to the match. And he's always looks frustrated. He's not like, oh, for some reason, you know, this isn't working. He, he sees what's happening in front of him and he's like, well, this is bullshit, this is not what I want, sort of thing. You yeah. know, like, the, the, past, the fast passing is static because no one's running into the space to receive the ball. Or, you know, they're getting rattled or they've suddenly forgot how to track a runner. You know, he might just suddenly feel like, rather than, oh, I'm starting to doubt my philosophy in this league and country, he's like, well, this is, they've just completely not doing what they're meant to be doing now do you reckon there's a chance of that um and that's why he thinks well okay have another week of training yeah everyone's been very good let's try this again or do you think that once he sees them not being able to execute it in a competitive game he has to make that compromise regardless
1: see i mean the i suppose the issue for me is actually is the coaching implementation on, on the training ground that i I find probably the the worst aspect of, of his entire reign because mm. we've actually got progressively worse, I think, as the season's gone on in exactly, playing this football. Yeah. And I often look at the team, and I often think that there are players. You know, don't. I mean, again, I'll, I'll make this point many, many times over. I'm I'm not in any way suggesting that this squad is is fantastic or, or really better than fifth or sixth placed in terms of in terms of ability in, in the mm. league, you know, kind of overall. Yeah. But I often feel that the way that he coaches this sort of positional play, this shadow play, this, very, this, very this way of coaching, very Italian manner. I mean, he's, he's Conte with a different, you know, with an aesthetically pleasing brand. That's basically the, mm. the coaching style that people maybe don't assume just because he plays passing, attacking football. Yeah. But I think that times actually that he's overloaded players with instructions on mm. where they need to be, the types of decisions they need to make. And actually, you know, beginning the sort of early part of the season where players would have taken less information, they played in a slightly freer manner, and some of the football I think was actually pretty good in the first two three months. Mm. I think now that the more that he's got into them, the more that we're seeing on the training pitch, the more instructions players are getting. And and in some cases, you know, if, if you are not a a really really top class player, which I you know, I mean, we're not really sport with, we've even hazard level talent across the across the pitch. You're, if you're more concerned about where you're standing or, you know, the, the 15 different actions you're meant to do when you receive the ball in this position <laughs> yeah. and actually playing the game, yeah. I, think, I think that's partly to, you know, partly to blame with, with how kind of static we are. And mm. then you factor in, I think, again, you know, this, as we've gone across the season, teams, you know, if you have bloggers on the internet who can break down Saris' pattern and play watching clips from Match of the Day, mm. you can bet that there are analysts at Premier League oh, clubs yeah. who, know, who know everything that we're going to do. Yeah. The sixth game at, at City, it felt almost as if, you know, someone was had two PlayStation controllers and was passing the ball and already moving their player on the other controller because they knew they knew where it was going to happen. So, yeah. I think I think the coaching methods, I think the way that he's implemented it actually is is that that's the thing for me that, that suggested that you know sticking with him and, and sticking with the style. That's why I think he should have adapted earlier. Mm. Is to is to put a little bit of chaos, a little bit of. Um, Onus on the players to make decisions for themselves and not have to play to this particularly structured manner. You know, it works, you know, it's one of the reasons that that you know Victor Moses looked like this incredible player of in the Conte because he he had his decision making completely reduced to three or four decisions. Yes. Yeah. He was told where to stand. So he was he looked fantastic for a large portion of the game. Mm. Put him into a normal club setup with maybe more onus you know, decision making made by the player themselves and, but, and it all goes to pieces you know yeah. which is it's a shame but that, that's sort of how it is and yeah. I think I think that's a little bit with, with Saris that he's been so prescriptive from day one yeah that sort of the fluidity, the the kind of natural instincts of players have been kind of dulled with this. I must pass to sector one. It has to go to yeah. pass yeah. to We're at desk
0: five. Please select. Exactly. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's
1: kind of like battleship style of thing. football. Yeah.
0: and then when you've got exactly. the emotion of the of the fans and the opposition, yeah. and you just exactly go, yeah. No. Okay, no, you're you're completely right. I'm da- I'm completely in agreement with you, but. I just want to pose the question because, you know, obviously fans were excited of his arrival and players were, you know, there's multiple quotes of all the different players, not least Eden Hazard saying, yes, you know, this is, I like this, this is great, we want this. And as you, and you're, as you rightly say, as the overload of information came, our, our performances got worse rather than better. And he was sort of, um sorry, was shocked of how well we started, but I think he's probably yeah. shocked <laughs> of like... Oh, look, Chelsea, just because we we're passing fast and Eden Hazard was in great form, that sort of carried us, really, I think, ultimately. I mean, there might have been elements of Sari Ball or Sarismo in there, which, you know, the sort of uh, hipsters could have highlighted and, and great. Or, you know what? That's good. But do you not think all things considered that looking at it from a sort of external I'm not external, but from like a distant sort of objective view, that mm-hmm. maybe there there's a sort of allowance for this teething issues. I think I, I think Star sorry is stubborn, but I think he's like a decent guy, in a in a way that maybe Conte and Jose weren't in terms of maybe he'll. I feel like he'll talk it out with his players. <laughs> I feel like he's more he, he's a little bit more of a therapist. In I don't know if that's the right analogy, but I feel like there might be an, a difference between him and jo, uh, Jose and Conte where. He might accept learning, growing pains, or maybe you know he. I don't. He hasn't got the ego, has he, of the previous? No. Well, that's because he hasn't got the trophy. So maybe he's like, okay, I'm at the biggest club I'll probably ever manage. <laughs> you know. Well, that's almost the definite. What's going on here? I've, i I believe in my system, but let's have a look at what's happened as a whole. Let's be a sort of objective. And, and I mean, this guy. It's so easy to forget that these guys are professionals they like us will get swept up in all this but you know is there is there a chance they'll look at the beginning of the season the end of the season what players are doing in between what his opportunities are and be like right let's make this work by doing this because people were and before I wanted the next thing I want to talk about is, is a bit dissected bits of your article and or themes from your article but it, it, I, I i mean I'm sort of a, a being a bit of a I'm not like a, a, a sorry fanboy. I was a change fanboy for chelsea um yeah I and, agree. yeah and and I just think you know this guy came in and he said some things that resonated with me about the joy of football and nurturing the child and play and i I'm quite a sort of like hippie like that to think like, oh, that's a really <laughs> sort of open compassionate view about how you should enjoy football and nurture the element of play. I haven't heard that for from a football coach um so I, you know it, I just think is there a chance that you could look at this and feel like I'm not bigger than this car but I'm don't I'm, I'm not Jose Mourinho or Conte maybe I can look back and you know make it work after a positive result do you, or do you genuinely think due to his sort of meticulous and repetitive methods that it probably is only going to go one way with with sorry uh, But do you would you like it to work out or do you think before of course, we move yeah, on yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think anyone who who doesn't want to see like a fully realised version of of like super attacking and, and interesting kind of football mm. is, I think they're lying to themselves regardless of, of how wedded they are to, to different sort of, you know, Mourinho, Conte-esque kind of ideologies and stuff mm. like that. I think the, the prospect of seeing that kind of football is is fantastic. It's, it, you know, whenever I see a team, you know, Barcelona or Munich or, or whoever it's been under Guardiola, even City, yeah. obviously, you know completely sweeping someone aside with with you know excellent football it's fantastic to watch so mm. I think yeah i mean i i for all the will in the world, particularly when Sarri joined was was you know massively hopeful that he was mm. going to be a guy who who could change the 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 philosophy change the style of of chelsea um that the, I think again you know the the thing that that has has let me down personally is just this this kind of rigidity you know mm. i think again I think his his problem has been, and I don't want to say it's arrogance because I, I think it's, I don't think he's a particularly arrogant man. But then, blind self belief. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of you know looking at the looking at the squad at his, at his disposal and thinking, are these players really capable of of not just playing this style of football but doing it in the Premier League? Mm. Because you know it's all well and good playing these these fantastic triangles and you know people can hop back to watching Napoli, etc. But the the amount of time that you have in the Premier League to make decisions and to to actually get the ball away is so much
0: yeah,
1: smaller yeah. that window of opportunity is so much smaller than Serie A and it's not just a question of you know will this lot, will this style of football work it's will will it work in, in the Premier League well, yeah that have. I, I think I, that's, that's been his downfall is that he's he's maybe overestimated yeah ability or 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 willed you know kind of willed the the ability of the players to increase because he did come in and say you know I don't like the transfer window. I, you know, I, I prefer to yeah, coach. coach. To say, but... Conte said that as well though. Didn't yeah, but at the there's, beginning. There's, there's only so much you can do with with certain players, you know. You can't turn, you know, Cesar Azpilicueta into, you know, you know peak Cafu. You can't turn yeah. Marlon into Roberto Carlos, <sighs> you know. There are there are limitations to coaching. No, though. yeah. Well, that, I,
0: I, let me repose the question been,
1: been him, yeah.
0: Yeah, let me re- so, I don't think sorry ball like peak sorry ball we can become the best attacking team in England and win I just don't think that can happen regardless but it's more of a hybrid I'd sort of saying like yeah. can, he, can he become a hybrid manager not like Pep being innovative playing three formations in one match um, maybe a bit more like Klopp how he sort of shut the game down for this season in comparison to last defensively but can sorry like man, I mean, can he learn to be do what because what we've done at City shows that it's in the locker. It's not like something yeah, exactly. beyond. It's not something beyond him. And what we've done at Huddersfield, I know, just for the example, I know the yeah, yeah. opposition aside, you know, is an example. So, I mean, that kind of that kind of leads me on nicely to your article. But like. um if I mean, I'd I'd pose you the question, but I guess the answer would be you don't know, do you? In terms of can that happen for Sari? Um, because I mean, we don't, do we? Really? It it it, it depends on yeah. the immediate like results in front of us, but it just depends on. He he knows that could work. He's come out on that press conference, and been like, "I'm very proud of the game plan work. I'm very happy with my players." He's making all the right noises. But um, j- I just want to so let's, I want to move on to this article that I, I really do urge everyone to to go and read. And at the end of the podcast, Joe Joe will tell you where to go and find it. But you you really, it's really well written, and you basically try and quantify something that's unquantifiable and that's sort of intangible yeah. about Chelsea Football Club for like the last eighteen odd years about how. Fiona and Roman Roman Abramovich and some of the fan base every now and again surface and talk about attacking football but we don't have a sort of a past or a dynasty of attacking football how there is a sort of entitlement to your Liverpools your Manchester United I say entitlement that's not the, that's the wrong word but um you know fans might expect it but they're almost right to because they've seen it and it is part of their yeah. footballing DNA and you you write all this really well and you explain how you pose the question to the reader about what is Chelsea's DNA and Chelsea have been successful for 20 years. You know, even before that, we didn't think of notes. You know, in the late 90s, we were a top four team. Yeah, and we, you know, so Chelsea and then most successful English team in the last 10 years. And so, you know, what is Chelsea? What do we do? And then you talk about Chelsea, we're winners um, at what any cost, which sounds kind of simplistic. But you go on to sort of talk about. How it's a sort of character thing, and what I found that resonated with me most, and what Chelsea fans took pride in, was the sort of villain aspect. Um, yep. Whether it was um, being sort of the anti-football to Barcelona, we all took pride in that. We loved that, or was you know pissing off um, Manchester United and stuff. Um, so I mean, I think that was really good. So <laughs> whether you're welcome to sort of further, further on what I've said about the article and. Do you think we need to go back to that? Um, and do you think there's a possibility for attacking football? Because I know that there's the Ancelotti years, but it sort of was different. So, it, do you do you want to like summarise a little bit of it oh. without, without t- talking about the whole article, so people can you know still yeah. get the good content?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the the concept I've, I've I've been thinking about this for for quite some time is is that I think certainly that the sort of this modern iteration of Chelsea. So, let's say post Champions League final. We've we've really lacked some I use the word identity, you know, we've lacked a a, a real kind of defining characteristic and, you know, you look at uh, teams like Barcelona and you can look at their sort of you know, their, their sort of passing philosophy and their philosophy of, of playing that sort of style of football. Same with Ajax, you know, Manchester United fans often mm. expect just gung ho attacking football. That's sort of the, the Ferguson way, that's kind of the sort of the Busby Babe's way, is mm. you know, they'll well kind of outscore you. Liverpool obviously as much as it pains me to say, I've got you know a lot of a lot of history rooted in in you know being a very successful side in the 80s and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think with Chelsea, the 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 concept I was trying to pick up on is that we we kind of came to prominence in in a way that I think irritated a lot of people. You know, we we came in with, with a brand which is money, and within a, a season we were kind of at European's top table, and, and without really being invited, we just sort of kicked down the door and was like, okay, lads, we're here. Yeah. Um, and I think at times it's. It's that that we've almost been embarrassed about about our own success and and our success, you know, has often come. I think you know we, we have played some fantastic football under Mourinho, you know, the first two seasons. Some of that that football with Robin and Duff was mm. was excellent to watch. You know, same with I think with with Ancelotti when we won the title. But that that sort of early period, and we kind of put that to the back burner and people focus on you know sort of the the kind of the dogged determination, the kind of the will to win, the, the sort of the character, the the resiliency, the the ruthlessness of this team. And it was this sort of aggressive kind of character that we had when playing against some of Europe's Europeans, uh, you know, sort of the big boys. I'm talking about the Barcelona games. And I remember us really, really, you know, really outplaying Bayern Munich and you know lots of teams that you, you would expect, uh, you know, Chelsea previously to have been nowhere near. And it's it's this it's this characteristic, I, I call it Chelsea-ness, this kind of under, underlying sort of principle of, of, of kind of how we've approached some of these big games and, and how we've kind of you know, been quite happy to sprawl the party. And I think that's, that's the, the best phrase to describe it is that, you know, often I watch some of these teams play against Barcelona and it's almost like they're happy to be on the same pitch as them. Mm. You know, happy to, you know, they want to swap shirts. They want to, you know, they, they, I played against Messi. Whereas yeah. I think when, when we've played against them, it's been like, you know what, we, we are going to kick every single bit of you that we can. <laughs> and not only that, we're going we're to bully you. We're going to get in your faces. We're going to score goals. We're going to defend.
0: Yeah. Get inside your we're, head.
1: Exactly. We're not going to play your game. And Mm. I think that has always been something that I think has has been an element of pride. All of the cup finals that we've won, you know, there's always been this kind of sort of dogged mentality that that the club have had. Mm. I don't want to say it's sort of the the mentality of an underdog because, you know, obviously we've had a huge amount of of investment in the side and Mm. we're not really sort of an underdog per se. But it's almost like this. We're kind of fighting against the fact that we don't belong, and I think that's that's sort of the concept that yeah. I think kind of this this thread that flows through Chelsea is that we we've never really belonged at the top table. It's and hard, we, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's hard. It's kind of the soul of the football club. Yeah, and you're right. You know, I, I described it as, as Chelsea being a bit of a supervillain. You know, I see us as as being the guys who are very happy to go against this sort of Barca Jacks sort of style of football yeah, and, I love that, yeah. and just like, you know, just going and bloodying noses. Yeah. But then also as well, you know, going and beating sides 3-4-0 and completely like destroying them in the league. Mm. It's kind of the, the the resiliency. It's it's the willingness to roll your sleeves up and go, OK, you know, toe-to-toe with Barcelona playing a passing football game. Mm. They are going to absolutely wipe the floor with us. So what we're going to do is A, B and C, and we're going to make it as difficult as possible for yeah. them. Nip a goal, you know. I mean, there have been plenty of games of them where we should have beaten them. You know, we created the better chances, you mm-hmm. know, on the counter attack, etc. And it's a different way of approaching it. And I think that generally, that identity, as you said, that kind of, you know, wanting to spoil the party, that kind of grittiness, that sort of villainous mm-hmm. quality, I think we've lost.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. There's a few things to pick up on that. So it's like the anti-hero, isn't it? Like yeah. It him. is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like you know, the, when we won the Champions League, it was. It's all heart. It was like that's the, and that's what a likable thing about Chelsea It's Like the boxer in the ring against the guys really technical and fast, but you just won't yeah. go down because your cause. You're, it's all heart, and you know you take loads of punches, but at the end, you know, like there's no other option but winning. And, um, you know, that that, that sounds kind of like it sounds poetic because it because it fucking is, man. You know, and and that's what Chelsea was all about. It's almost ironic because it was financial investment and the Chelsea rent boys. Mm. But we came together and despite all that, we sort of developed something that a lot of other teams didn't have. And with with that sort of resilience and heart and, you know, dare I use the term Chelsea DNA, um, the four nils came because these players are like titans. You know, they're titans on the pitch. And you're like, you know, we'll stop these guys going out. You guys are f- afraid of us. You, of course you're not getting in. You know what? We can bang goals as well. So yeah. ultimately the goals came. Um, and sadly, uh, what, what your article sort of encapsulated a lot is that it, this Chelsea DNA. It, it kind of, our success, There were, the roots were in through certain plays and characters in the club. Yeah. And ma- you know, mainly through players and then maybe a couple of coaches and, you know, back staff that maybe windled, dwindled out and, you know, even up to Steve Holland and Emanale to a degree, to a sort of diplomatic degree. But um so as these people like faded out, you know, John Terry in the dressing room, the way he handled himself so professionally that last Conte season, you know, one of the best centre backs in the world, but his ego did not get in the way. He said, I oh. wish I, I hope I never play for Chelsea again this season because he saw his boys winning that togetherness, that hard. And one by one they all dropped out and with that we was just left sterile and we're like, okay, we're a big club. We've got a good fan base. We've got some resources and we've got these, you know, representatives, ambassadors of the club, but that are no longer in the club. You know, whether it be your, your, your Lampard's doing bits, your JTs, your Balak, they're all about, and they represent Chelsea, but they're not at the club. And it sort of, it like watered us down, essentially, or certainly watered that element down. And, um, I mean, it kind of leaves us where we're at, character-wise, and I think a big, a big um, element is is the character. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to get into this Twitter debate about player power and whatever because I think it's it's a little bit of like a wet sort of easy response. But to just to just to quickly jump back to that Kepa situation, how you said, you know, Louise, or no one said, and I I said how JT would have pulled him off. It does look like, I don't want to say a lack of leadership, but there was togetherness in that performance in terms of they wanted to win but this is still it's still lacking this figure or two figures that to make us great again and as much as I I really think as isn't a captain I think he just frowns a lot I tweeted about he just't yeah. know like, <laughs> he doesn't good, really yeah. do anything I mean I did just watch a video before before we um we went live I, I was watching a video on Twitter about um uh, at full time uh, in, in on Sunday I was gone as soon as I saw Right, that ball hit the back of the I left the stadium. But Hazard looked devastated, but he picked himself up and he went to every single teammate and like tried to lift him up. You could tell he was like devastated, but yeah. he tried to lift him up, which is good, but I can't expect any more than Hazard because he's quite a passive, happy-go-lucky dude. But are you in agreement how we're just a couple of figures short of making us a lot better in terms of Chelsea-ness, like, you, like the term you coined, and... Are they obtainable? Can you buy that in, or does this have to be like waiting five years for Ampadu to like stay in the club, and <laughs> or or, or pulling else someone else from the academy, or is it is it someone on the coaching staff? Because for all we love Zola, he he's just like, you know, he's even softer than Hazard. <laughs> you know, they're very yeah. similar players. So, so like, to, um, uh, it, so I want to get your thoughts um before we end part one. To to um, how, do you think we can achieve this again?
1: See, I mean, I think there's there's kind of two real approaches here, and uh, you know, one of the reasons that I'm so like incredibly passionate about bringing young players through is, is because I think a lot of them have have this quality in them, and mm. you see often when you watch uh, youth cup games or whatever, there are there are a lot of little scuffles and stuff that break out, and when you see, you know, yeah, let's say you know, for example, I think in the final a little kind of argument broke out, and you've got know, Reece James running from one side of the pitch with Dijon Sterling, with all these other guys, you've got six, seven players, mm. you know, and, and okay, like, you know, the whole crowding, the ref thing, I think people got a bit, you know, fed up with us doing it, but when you've got six, seven players running over to kind of make a point or to, to sort of sort things out, mm. that's that's the kind of mentality that we miss, you know, that having a, a player in, in that first, uh, first 11, who I think actually has come through the club. It's mm. got a bit of the JT about them. It's got a bit of the the Lampars, the Drogpers, you know, all these sorts of players. Mm. This, a lot of these young players that come through, when you watch them, particularly in age group football, uh, actually, the more that I watch Rhys James play for Wigan, he's sort of taking this kind of leadership oh, mate, role yeah. as, as a teenager. Mm. They, have, they have something about them. And, you know, we'll often talk about sort of intangibles in football. John Terry's sort of intangible leadership quality. How can you... How can you really kind of put a, a value on how, how good a leader he was? Mm-hmm. I see in a lot of these young players coming through. You know, Rhys James is, is, is a very, very good example of, of, of someone who I think needs to be in the squad. Same with Ampady because they, they sort of understand the club. They're, they're kind of fans. They've come up. You know, they, they understand the culture. They understand the pressure of winning. They have been winners. You know, a lot of them are winning everything at, at youth yeah. categories and they come in. World cards exactly, and stuff. Exactly, yeah. And then sort of the second is is that I think we need to start looking at some players in the first team when we buy players in who have that kind of leadership, you know, that have that kind of leadership quality and have that sort of character. Because, you know, I mean, I, I even look at, you know, players like Rudiger, who I think a lot of people are very, very high on mm. because he sort of shouts and screams. But he's never really anywhere when it comes to sort of these sort of leadership matters. I, I think he's he's just a bit sort of, you know, very shouty and very sort of overly aggressive. Mm. I think that they need to start looking at maybe bringing it up, particularly I'd say in midfield, you know, Kante is a wonderful player, but he's he's not Michael Essin, you know, or Michael Ballack in terms of that, that figure in midfield that's no. just going to I don't think we have that many dominant personalities in the team anymore. And that's that's kind of where it starts from. You know, if you look up front, Drogba, you know, there's, I mean, Diego Costa, you know, those those two were, were leaders. They would lead a team. They would drag a team forward. Yeah, No one really in midfield who's capable of doing that. And yeah, Kante was absolutely exceptional. I felt he was on Sunday, but he's very kind of meek and quiet and... and you know, yeah, I, yeah. I want someone in midfield, to be perfectly honest with you, that's going to literally kick lumps out yeah, of people. You know, it's very basic, but it, it's no, it's often one problem. of the things that get teams going. And, and even then, you know, you look at the defence. I mean, Palmieri, you know, lovely footballer, Aspen great servant at the club. But I, I agree with you. He's never a captain in a million yeah. years. No. Louise possibly, but Louise is up and down and is the same. So, you know, there's not a great deal at the club at the moment that you know unless you were buying in some some really established players to to sort of create that culture again but yeah. it's tricky. Well that's
0: what I was going to cool. say like I think you're right it has to be developed like with for, for the Chelsea-ness you know to come back we do need to bring players through because they've been through it together and there's that yeah, brother, they there's get the, it, yeah. the brotherhood yeah but they need that element of brotherhood because it's all very well buying cultured sort of Spanish or whatever players bring them in they're never going to have that but I, I think they're going to understand what it means to
1: play Tottenham no no, they no never, well exactly
0: exactly um but yeah my, it's funny that you said that cuz the exa- I was just going to throw an example it would be a shit purchase for a multitude of reasons but it's funny cuz you said Tottenham cuz I was going to say we need someone ugly like Chiellini at the back you know <laughs> but it's funny cuz he said that shit about Tottenham he knows <laughs> all about Tottenham he knows all about Tottenham but um you know someone like that you know Kanté is indisposable because he's so good and also he makes the uh, not now and again, it's good to be liked to have a player that's liked by world yeah. football. He and he's v- valuable for that. And um, yeah, Reece James as well, completely like a proper Chelsea, but mad technical skills as well. So you know yep. that go moving forward, you know that that would be perfect. So I think it may be a hybrid of bringing in one one player that has leadership qualities, maybe a centre back or a midfielder that's just you know rough and is willing to just completely you know, go to war no matter who they're playing for yeah. because that's their sort of perspective by default and then look to bring players through. I think that's the only way to revive Chelsea again. And the club needs to be lucid to that. Otherwise we're stuck in this cyclone of, of shit that we're in at the moment. But, um, I want to, we've, um, we've done part one to death mate. So I'm, I'm going to move on to part two, look forward and see what we can do with these players. So sure. let's go. Okay. Welcome back to part two. I'm still here with Joe. Um, yeah, what a great first part we've uh, we've been through. We've covered a lot of content there, mate. Um, so we're going to look ahead to Tottenham and maybe just and beyond, maybe for Sarri, or just or more so just Chelsea as a whole. So we've come off a good performance at Wembley. Um, we've seen better substitutions, certainly more promising substitutions uh, that we'd want um, as fans. And um, and we're playing Spurs. It's at it's at Stamford Bridge, Joe, isn't it? I think I believe. The Tottenham game.
1: I think it's at Wembley. No, it can't be no. Because no, no, it has to be Stamford Bridge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's a Stamford Bridge. <laughs> um, they've they've lost to. Uh, they've just come off a loss to Burnley. Now, I think the big question here would be. Obviously, it's good that we come off a good performance. We're at home and and you know all, that that all looks really good. But the big sort of question will be, I think Sarri's approach, won't it? Because if um, yeah. if he, if he no matter, even though Burnley have just beaten them, um, is that gonna is that gonna be like sorry to go right? Let's go back to type. Let's go back to my football. Um, I you know I believe we can win at home and that, or is he gonna try and do a bit of a hybrid? Or who's gonna start? What's happening? There's a, there's a lot of things to um to sort of consider. So what are your thoughts on the game firstly do you sort of echo my sentiments of just uh, not knowing what's going to happen or do you, do you have an inkling of what yeah. you might go with
1: i mean i think the the approach will you know i think probably it's it's better off starting to say that this game may may potentially define his entire time at chelsea you know mm. it's a, it's a it's a huge huge game and you know the, the cynic in me suggest that if you were going to bring in an interim manager, then you would probably want to get Tottenham out of the way because then it's almost a free hit for the rest of the season. Yeah. So that, that kind of cynical side of me thinks that this game has a, a slightly greater importance maybe than, than yeah, what people... I don't think they're say.
0: cynical. I don't mean they're cynical.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. It's a little bit, but yeah, I mean, potentially I think it's... There's, there's a lot on the line here. And then, you know, looking back to sort of part one, it's it's a question of whether you take the, the positive amendments, the positive tweaks... To your playing style, were, were very effective against Man City, mm. and, and implement them against Tottenham. And I think particularly with the team that ended that game, and I'm looking at, at loftus Sieg in particular. Mm. Recent games against Tottenham, particularly in midfield, I've often felt that they've just bullied us. And that that's that's one of the most upsetting things to me is seeing, you know, Eric Dyer take complete liberties, Deli Ali, and, and everyone else <laughs> yeah. in midfield just brushing aside our players like they're some sort of you know League Two. Know four foot three, nothing, you know, yeah. kind of foot. So, I'm hoping that that lofty sheep brings a bit of that aggression and size and, and technique to, to the midfield because, yeah, there's sort of the Kovacic, Barkley kind of you know, the or Kovacly or Barkacic or whatever it is you want to combine them together. Oh, uh, <laughs> there you
0: go. It's a sequel it's just, it's, to Wedro. It's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's you know, it's a simple substitution. It's it's Wedro starts and Wedro comes on and yeah. Barkacic comes off and Barkacic comes on. There you so, go. Yeah, you know, I think if he if he plays the let's say the usual setup um and and loses, I think that could be him done. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that that is something that he will go into the game with in mind that this is by far the most important game probably this season for him, you know, Tottenham at home. You know, okay, the 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 record's gone under Conte, which is, one of the you know, the most painful defeats I think we've had to them. Yes. Um but he has to for me he has to switch it up. And whether it's again starting, you know, hazard down the middle Maybe this time, instead of playing Pedro, start Hudson-Odoi, mm. start Loftus-Cheek, start Palmieri, try something different because, um, you know, again, if he tries something different and he loses, fair enough, you know. Maybe it's a little bit, you know, too mm. little too late in terms of making adjustments, but maybe he's he's kind of learnt his lessons from earlier in the season. But go with the same tried and tested, you know, the, the same back four, Alonso comes back in, you know, Barkley in oh. midfield, Djokovicic, you know, Higuain. in, well, that
0: would be it. Yeah, yeah
1: you know, that, that, that that could be it. So it's it's a pretty big moment for him, I think. You know, it's it's really, I think my confidence level will depend on the team that he's picked because, yeah, it's you huge, know, I, yeah. yeah, it's huge. I, I I would love to see the team that, that pretty much finished the game um, on Sunday start, whether that's likely or not, I'm not too sure. But I think mm-hmm. if he does, and I actually think we've got a pretty good chance against them, but, you know, he, he will pick the team that he feels is best and... Mm-hmm that's when my my doubts start to creep in suddenly
0: it's interesting isn't it because i don't think you could um give a better example about how a starting lineup would affect the masses perception from from one game would affect so much like a perception yep. of them. because if if um, cause you're right to say it's a huge get. does he know, you've got zola and people in the club are telling him but if he knew how important it was to win this game uh, like almost as if not you know, as important as the, as the final in a way in terms of, you know, the importance of the league uh, position finish and and the history behind the game, then he, like you say, would sh- treat it the same as that. But it, it's just so difficult to sort of pin down of whether he's like, no, no, but we're at home and they've just learned, lost to Burnley. So we can, of course, play our own football. Or is he going to be like, no fucking way am I taking a risk because I know how important this game is and I know where my job is at the moment in terms of how... The delicate position I'm in, so you literally can't call it. But if he, if like you say, if you see the lineup, right, and he, uh, he did actually say in his in his uh, pre-match press conference today, he pretty much said, "Yeah, I'm playing Emerson at the moment." So he's, yeah. he, yeah, he's basically confirmed Emerson's first choice, um, which is great, which is great news. Um, whether he feels he needs a rest and he's got what he thinks is still a very good left back in Alonso, so he needs to start Alonso at home. Um, you know, a few days later, then that'll be frustrating. But you could see why he might think he has cause to do it. But let's just say he just start Emerson. Um, for some reason, he puts Christensen in, which I would like to see. I'm not like you know, I don't think he'd. It would be refreshing to see him partnering someone else because he has played well of late, a little bit better. Um, I'm not suggesting he puts Zappa Costa in, but say he puts Espeon and and he does start Callum on the right, Pedro or, or Wedro combined did did play a lot of minutes, so they might get a rest and. You know, I imagine he will play Iguain again because I, he had he didn't play that many minutes, and he is his man, and um, he, he's a goal scorer. So I feel like he'll put the striker back in. But if there was a front three of Iguain, Hudson, Adore, and Hazard, and you know, Ruben Loftus Cheek in the midfield, and Emerson at left back, already um, he's done so much for the fans, or, or he's done so much good for himself in terms of the fans. Um, and then you know if we draw the game 2-2 so we don't win or, you know, we lose 3-2 but we show heart and there was an unlucky call to concede the winning goal to Spurs. You know, if the context is still on his side with how he approached the game and the line-up he made, it, it, does that save his job? And, you know, there's so many, like, um, variables. It's so interesting because there's so yeah. many variables going into this game and a lot of them do start with a line-up. Um, so, I mean, do you do you think Spurs are vulnerable at the moment? Because they have had a bit of a hex on us recently. And, but the one thing I am pleased about is Delielli. I think sh- is still injured and he's got, a yeah. sort of, he's got a sort of um, trademark goal he scores against us. So, I mean, that's good. <laughs> but, um, do you, do you think, do you think how, because there was like, all that shit with, Pochettino losing, losing his nerve yes. and Mike and Mike Dean. I'd, it's probably yeah yeah yeah. I mean Mike he's box office, isn't he? Like but, Mike Dean, but apparently it's probably nonsense. Apparently he said like, "Oh, you know, Urente substitution didn't work, or you're out of the title race or something like that," <laughs> <laughs> which would have been amazing if he said that. I mean, Mike Dean is box office, so like, you know, he's just he wants to be. He wants to be a star of the show. Like I watched. He's a celebrity ref. Yeah, he is the celebrity. He's a celebrity ref. ref, and like he wants. To, if he's not star of the show, he get he gets a bit of a. He gets a bit of um for his attention. I heard I heard something funny once. On um, I can't remember where I heard it, but they talked about how um one one day, like if the drama's too much and it's overshadowing him in stoppage time, he's gonna he's gonna score a header at the back post and stoppage. Weed time. away in celebration, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like fuck this, like you know I'm gonna get my get, yeah back post header down, Mike Dean on the score sheet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you know that that aside. Um. they feel like they've maybe conceded the title. Well, I think Pochettino quite strategically said that for the the benefit of the team, actually. A lot of people think it's a a really negative thing saying that, but I think he actually alleviates pressure on on his team in terms of performing moving forwards. But are are they in any way a wounded animal? I know Kane's back and he scored a goal, but how, how do you feel about them as opposition at the moment coming to Stamford Bridge? And are you you know after watching the game on Sunday we both discussed how we can't call it how it's going to go with Sarri so it's a difficult question to answer but how do you feel generally about them coming to Stamford Bridge do you do you feel like how they are at the moment how we are will win the game or is that too a difficult question
1: no I mean it's it's definitely an interesting one because I I think recent history would suggest that I think Tottenham definitely turn up against us now Mm. um I think I think you're right. Deli Ali is a huge miss. Um, you know, he's he always scores that header. Yeah. So if we can if we can take away the header, then maybe we've chance. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think they'll they'll not be as confident as what I assume that they would be. Um, you know, coming into the game, they're You know, I, th- I think when they're at their strongest, they're probably better than us now, and that that's something that definitely irritates me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it would be a question of of how big an impact. You know, the fact that Ali and, and potentially, I've, I've read that Eric Dyer might also not play. Yeah. It's which will also be a huge miss because he's such a pest against us and no one seems to be able to do anything about him. Mm. Um Losing them, I mean, obviously Kane is is a massive plus and he always seems to score against us, which is mm. probably the same for every other Premier League team, to be perfectly fair. but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, if, if they're not playing and I, I think we get the team selection right, I think we, we can definitely win. I think the interesting question is, I think you, you know you were sort of alluding to there is is what sort of the impact on on sorry you know I think probably Chelsea are looking at this now and and, and maybe thinking that the Premier League the top four is is a little bit unrealistic given the, the form that we've been in and in sort of the up and down nature of, of the season that we've had mm. so I think it's a question of you know maybe sticking all, all the regs into the into the Europa League basket so. If you think that Sari can deliver the Europa League, then I think you keep him. Mm. But I think after this game, I mean, you know, I'm looking really back at, at Conte's last season because I felt we we hung on to him for far too long. Once he he visibly down tools and couldn't be asked, mm. he should have been out the door. But they they kept him, they kept him, they kept him, and it was like you know maybe, maybe he'll turn it around or let's give him a chance. And then you know you're out of the Champions League at the end of the season. You've not got not got nothing. Uh, you know, in 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 terms of sort of, of of being able to attract players again in the summer, or the caliber of players that you would maybe want. So, mm. it, I think it will boil down to yes, yeah, sure. If we beat them, I think again it's another extension. But yeah. I think the, the club at the moment are, are just mulling over that decision of whether whether sorry can deliver Champions League football because I mean that's ultimately all they really care about this season. Finances. Is getting Champions League. So can he do it? He stays. If not, then if, if if they don't think he can, you know, I think he'll go.
0: It's it's interesting. Like um, with Conte as well, just quickly, I feel like. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't know, but I feel like that last season there was a bit of a game of chicken between the board and yeah, Conte. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Because I reckon... Sack me,
1: sack me, sack me. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, sack me, sack me, sack me. There's a lot of that. But also I think maybe there's... Obviously, there's the I think there might have been a clause of... There's a clause of sacking a Chelsea manager if he doesn't get top four in terms of payout. I imagine there's something like that in a complex uh, agreement with a manager. Probably not much, cause, um, but the standards are so high at Chelsea or certainly have been... You know the last X amount of time that maybe they thought right, doesn't get top four. We 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 release him with one year left, um, and we maybe pay him less, so we take him in. Then they've managed to pull some sort of court case out of their ass anyway. So I'm sure, yeah, there's, yeah. I'm sure there's something there. So I think there was a bit of a game of chicken there, which um, sorry, is in far less wages. I think he's in probably about half. Um, and there would and there wouldn't be that, I don't think. But in in terms of top four. I don't know, you know, like like you say, it, it'll be a very different conversation after this game, but let's just say we duh, we draw this game at worst, um and take a point and it was a good performance, so we keep it whatever. But looking at the the route the league route of top four. it is clutching its straws. but you look at the opposition in in that spot in Arsenal and United. Realistically, um Arsenal by sort of default at the moment aren't very threatening. <laughs> no. Yeah, just because like, even though they can, they have a very good chance of getting top four. They're just they don't have the factor, the feel good factor that United have. So obviously out of the tomb, you're looking at Man United, and then you're looking at what's happening at Chelsea recently. A very good performance in the in the Cup final. Good players, um, you know, youth that are waiting to come through and play. That are very good. You know, like we've discussed in Callum and Ruben. But then so they so they're gonna if they're gonna be pragmatists in terms of. Viewing the Champions League approach, they say right. So there's Arsenal, not too bobs about them. Let's look at United. All, all, all these, you know, he's um, he's been very good. That that loss to PSG, I think, was significant um, because their I don't want to say their bubbles burst, but they got a sort of reality check. Um, you know, up to the game, everyone's like, oh, your Man United are definitely going to win. PSG don't have a midfield. They um, they've been playing two. Mid, they've been playing two centre backs in the midfield. Um, you know, but they rushed Verratti to get back from injury so he could play sixty minutes, and he was the only midfielder in that midfield. It was Draxler and uh, it was a Marquinhos as well. Yeah. So, and they didn't have. Oh yeah, and they didn't have Cavani and Neymar. <laughs> so yeah. And they were travelling away to a very informed Man United. So all that things considered, it was. Um, it looked like, oh, you know, United are going to turn them over. But then the they had a massive reality check. Not only that. Pogba, you know, made made some poor decisions, and now he and then he banned himself, which put a really negative spin on that uh, matchup for Man United. Um, and I think they—I can't remember who they beat afterwards or whatever—but they, you know, they've gone back to okay league form. But I think another thing, if if I'm the Chelsea board, I'm looking at them a little bit closely, and I'm looking at their players dropping off like flies in terms of injuries at the moment. And they were flying United you know, under Ollie. They were, had a feel-good factor. He's got this, like, talismanic United United DNA figure. And they were all running their hearts off for him. And suddenly, a lot of hamstrings are going ping um, in a very short amount of time. And that was um, not because, you know, they're not capable of doing that football, but because it's suddenly such a big change from what they were doing with Jose, sitting back and watching the ball. Now they're running all the time. Um... If you look at how many players are out, they've got like nine players out, first team players out or something. Not all, granted, not all from, you know, doing their hamstrings, running in a counter attack for Solskjaer's approach. But I think these are the kind of things that the club might look at and be like, all right, well, we don't have any injury problems. Um, I, I, I'm not too savvy on the the running. I think Man United have got a better running than us. But, um,. I don't know do you, do you, how, how do you feel about Man United now in terms of being a threat for us for top 4 do you feel better do you feel better after these things I've been talking about and like um does it not give you offer you comfort for our, for the end of our league campaign
1: I'm I'm a bit of a traditionalist and you know, I think if we if we play well for the rest of the season that we'll finish in the top 4 mm. my kind of reservation is that I, I can't see again going back to to sort of the the standard approach if we if we're adopting the, the standard sorry methodology for the rest of the season i can't see us putting enough uh, points on the table to, to really challenge so mm. it depends if if we see if we see an adjustment against tottenham and we win if we continue to see some form of adaptation of his tactics some kind of you know evolution of of his style of play you know this is something that the, every top manager has come to the premier league and had to evolve their their system. Hmm. If we see that, I mean, by all means, I, I, I wouldn't even really be looking at, at United. I, I think we're definitely good enough to finish, to finish fourth. I think the, the performance against City on yeah. Sunday reflected that, you know, another day Pedro potentially scores, you know, Hazard potentially could, could nick a goal. You know, there, there were, there are certainly opportunities on the table that we, you know, on another day we would potentially score those. So, you know, if we can, if we can do that, playing that sort of style against City, then there's no, Real kind of, uh, it's not it's not out of the realms of possibility that we can go the rest of the season put put together a really big sort of push in terms of of coming in in, in that fourth spot. So yeah, I mean I'm I, I'd like to think that that you know United you know they've they've had their very very big new manager bounce. Now I think they will be there'll definitely be a, a better side. You know I, think I, I definitely take your point that they they probably pushed themselves maybe a little bit too much mm. in terms of the just the the muscular injuries that they all seem to be getting at the moment. So. Potentially that works in our favour. I think Arsenal will fade just because, well, Arsenal will fade, yeah, right? They? So will I mean, fade, that's, yeah. just, that's just a general thing that will happen to them. So, I mean, it's for me, it's it's about it's about what we do. You know, if mm. we are consistent, if we can get some sort of change from Sari, if he's going to be here for the rest of the season, just some adaptation, just something like we saw against City, just some tweaks, you know, just a change of personnel, even more Loftus-Cheek, more Houton-Odoi, more Palmieri, you know, mm. more of sort of the the players that are going to add a bit more dynamism to the team, a bit more quality in the final third, mm-hmm. then I think I think we can definitely we can definitely come there. But you know, a lot of this will will kind of a revolve on who's in charge. You mm-hmm. don't really- you know, if Sari's here, then the the, the understanding will probably will be that he's he's adapted somewhat, and I think then yes, I'd be more positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's not here, then again, it's just it's another gamble, isn't it? So well, yeah. It's, it's, uh,
0: well, yeah. that's the thing. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, for that point, it's something that we can't answer. It's, it's so much, it's so it's so interesting. I have so much literally kind of lands in one game really. Yeah, now, the narrative is stacked. Um, if he does go, I'm not, I'm not sure they would sack him this season because we are in the Europa League, and I can't see us going out of the Europa League. Till the end of the season if it happens. So I'm not sure it would happen, but if it did, it looks like it would be a Zola Steve Holland combo, which would probably the only looking at that to work positively would be maybe a four two three one resolve, maybe. I don't know, or maybe I don't know if Steve Holland would want to play a uh, a four four two. I can't, you know, unless he tries to go back to a three four three just for the remainder of the season to get Alonso back in the team, but I don't think anyone would feel good about that. <laughs> you know?
1: no, 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 they
0: wouldn't. Uh, and we haven't got Moses now anyway, so so maybe they'd just try and play a 4 2 3 or a 4-5-1 um, and just try and grind it out to the end of the season. But um, I want to end on a, a theoretical point, but before, I, before I, we get into this next sort of topic, um, I want to just echo my sentiments to the listeners i'm pretty on the fence but i do want sorry to work i feel like he's got a good outlook on football he's not like a wanker he's just an idealist. um <laughs> and you know early on it was like we were in the title race even when we weren't in the title race remember that game that one nil one all excuse me against liverpool how good that game was everyone was saying looking at man united and saying you are so far off the top quality of the league that in terms of the football that was being presented that day, that was like a talisman. People were saying, this is the advert for the Premier League, that early Liverpool versus Chelsea game, when everyone was like, of course, sorry's in the title race. You know, we were top of the league, like, a month in or six weeks in. And, you know, they're, they're, there's... All, and, you know, as Hazard was coming out saying, I love this football and all this, that and the other, whatever. So I want it to work. And um, I know you wanted it to work earlier on as well, but we sort of had a sort of sobering moments. But so we're, none of us are just out with saying... Sorry, needs to go now because we've just been very pragmatic in our discussion and looked at what happens and said the situation will dictate what has to happen. But in a theoretical world, okay, so say it does go tits or it's the end of the season, it goes tits. And in relation to our discussion about, you know, Chelsea DNA, this, that and the other, I want to talk about if it does happen, what other coach would come in. Um, Before I get your thoughts on it, Obviously, a big one, Zidane. Uh, I'm half French myself, so I think Zidane's one of the coolest guys to ever play football. Um, him signing for Chelsea would almost, almost definitely mean Hazard signing for Chelsea, in my opinion. Um, i had massive concerns about Zidane because he's never built a team in his life. He's just a man manager for Galacticos. I know that's a little bit blunt of me that I thought, I thought, um, you know, he had a team of Galacticos and he man managed them well. We don't have Galacticos, as you've said. We we're sort of packing Wedgro right now, so you know, good in good good in their day. But I, I I watched a video by um you might have, you might have seen him a YouTuber called Statman Dave. Uh, he does like analytical stuff, and he said how it, it's a bit like um you know idealist like how would Zidane set up Chelsea? And he like talked about, and it is a bit like. Well, what was it? He was telling like all these players that he'd sign. Like, was well, he sign if he if he signed Cavani, he could do this. And if he signed James Rodriguez, it could work like this. So it's all like, you know, in a dream world. Yeah. But he did talk about the tactics side of it. Like how Zidane's played, how he's changed to a diamond, how he plays the 4-3-3, three, three, but how he plays 4-5-1 in certain opponents, very adaptable. And he he explained about the percentages of headed goals, uh and he explained about You know, he put the stats out there, it's in the name Statman Dave, but he put it all out there. He has a very good, like, a a board of the shapes and the processes and whatever. And and it made me sort of, you know, loosen up on my perspective of maybe he's not just a manager who made Ronaldo sit on the bench when he needed to and certain players do the right things because he did develop certain players and make them very good. Um, I pose the question to you. Would you what if Zari was to go and and not an interim to come in? If we had a permanent appointment, would it be someone like Zidane for you, or do you have the same perspective? My initial perspective of concerns about you know this is not even can he do it in the Premier League? Like can he build a team? Because you know let's let's have it straight. We need yeah. a team to be built. So how how do you feel about that?
1: I think I think Zidane maybe has. For me, at similar reservations to, to to now that I've seen Sari working here, and I think potentially
0: well, he wouldn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, after I mean, sort of after a, a really significant amount of money invested in the side again, that he could come in and potentially manage it. But I think Chelsea need to look at a slightly different approach for the for the next manager. It might be that it's it's almost someone who who needs to come in and and, and build the team and then hand it over to someone. Mm. And by that, I mean you might need to get an experienced hand in who can introduce some of, the, some of the younger players, make them become more of a feature of the team, go and buy buy some better quality players than what we have been, mm. You know, establish a bit of a core of a team for the next two seasons, mm-hmm. get back into the Champions League, hopefully this season, but, but get that being something that we do every season, mm. get that kind of, uh, you know, that sort of fluency back and then maybe hand it over to one of these sort of young budding managers who can come in and don't necessarily have to do all that sort of building work. So, cause mm. I, I mean, I think for maybe the next two, maybe three seasons... You know, we talk about rebuilding all the time I, I think this Chelsea side needs to be re- rebuilt now you know you look at the, the front line Morata is on loan probably not going to come back mm. um, on loan I, I wouldn't sign him on, on permanently I wouldn't take him for next season mm. Oliver Giroud's uh, contract runs out Hazard potentially going mm. Hudson-Odoi potentially going mm-hmm. Wedra have both got a year left on the contract yeah, good, we basically yeah. have Christian Pulisic mm. who's never kicked the ball for the club and that, that's that's going into next season so mm. you know I want someone to come in potentially who who has the, the CV of, of building a side. I'm not looking necessarily for someone to come in and win the title in day one, but mm. someone who's great aside. And maybe the, the obvious figures is, and maybe the guy they should have brought in last time was, was Jardim from, Jardim, from yeah. you know, he's the only one who really jumps out of someone who can build a side. Youth but as well. He, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, mm. and include a lot of the younger players. You know, you look at that Monaco team that he built. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, wasn't a huge amount of money spent in, in, in making it. A lot of it was sensible buyers. Fetuses using that weren't the age. You know,
0: yeah.
1: maybe he's the guy for the next two, three seasons. And then maybe you try and target a Nagelsman or someone who is a bit, more, uh, a bit more flavor of the month if you want to give them the team and let them run wild. But I, I think we need a steady hand because... You know, we've gone from uh, a Conte style to a sari style and and the kind of the foundations are a little bit shaky at the moment. So... It's almost a little bit of a reset, a re- kind of take a deep breath at the club, mm. realise that we need to get some foundations in place to sort a of bit go more
0: by the book, right? Like a systematic, yeah, exactly, by the way. Yeah. Uh, well, enter sporting director, director of football, right? Um, yes. What, that'd to, be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the argument would be made. I've heard you certainly pose the they make this argument as well as a lot of other people for us to move forward and develop and build and all these things you just said. Um, context and themes are required to go with a direction of all that. Um, you know. Marina Granovskaya. Whatever your everyone's opinions on her, she's good at haggling a deal on occasion. But she needs to be uh, informed by someone who's sitting beside her at the desk and says, "I'm this. We're moving forwards now." Um, I'm. I'm not in. I know there's like a big romance of sort of bringing Balak in or someone like that, but I just I'm I, I, am I being I just I don't know if I'm being too boring or objective to be like how qualified is he, to, you know, to be a director and implement uh, a long-term viable strategy for a footballing philosophy that's going to be um, feasible and actually be successful you know like or is it just going to be like you know i'm i'm a chelsea legend ambassador i want to bring the grit back i'll talk to the players i'll check if they've got the heart and all the chelsea-ness and the stuff we've discussed but we need like almost like an analytical but just a sort of trained brain that really can analyze the climate of football what's footballing's current climate you know they've done it right at city but it's almost like we it, it needs to become an academic thing rather than a heart thing you know get 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 him in the club but i feel like i'm i'm, I'm- Poorly educated to all that, so I can't really comment on what would what need, but it, 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 just, it just seems like there needs to be someone who knows what they're doing.
1: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So Here's, I mean, his, this, I, I, I get this often when I, I suggest an, an ex player to be the director of football, and mm. this is the more I thought about it actually, the, the more that I actually think that it's a sensible thing despite the lack of experience. And yeah, the reason being is the, the number one currency at Chelsea in terms of upper management senior people is trust. Mm. It doesn't matter, you know. Chelsea could bring in the greatest, and freshest person, who's the greatest scout, and can unearth the next Pele, Maradona, and Johan Cruyff playing in you know the streets of Bolivia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if Marina Granovskaya, if Roman Abramovich, if Eugene Tenenbaum, if the guys that run Chelsea don't trust them, yeah, it's completely, it's completely pointless. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the, yeah, the reason that I, I think when you look at someone like Petr Cech, Michael yeah, Bass, these are yeah. players who have. At least, you know, I mean, from, from anecdotally from, from people that I talk to when you read newspaper clippings, they are people that have a pretty good relationship with, with the owner. And I, I think actually that in itself goes an incredibly long way because I don't think at the moment Chelsea, Chelsea really need this, you know, incredible, knowledgeable director, football person who knows it's everything inside out. Mm. I think they need a sensible person with a footballing opinion that, that the board will trust. You know, yeah. maybe I, I I would trust Petr Cech to look at a player and go, you know what, I've played in the Premier League. I don't think he's worth it. Or actually, do you know what? Let's try this. Yeah. I think both of them yeah. having that kind of that kind of currency with the board is is a lot more important, I think, at this stage than then getting going on and getting like a, a Jorge Campos or the guy who runs, you know, a Red Bull Salzburg or Bayern Munich or Montreal yeah. or any of these sort of superstar names because there's nothing worse, I think, coming into Chelsea with an I-know-better-than-you-all kind of mentality yeah, yeah, yeah. because we, we've seen it happen with managers. Absolutely. We've yeah. seen it happen far too many times with coaches who knew who knew best. Mm. And they, they get shoved out the door. So even if we have a, a Balak or a check coming in who admittedly would have an awful lot to learn about doing it, mm. I think they're both intelligent enough to, to learn how to do it. Let, yeah. let's, let's get that right. But I think the fact that they already have so much currency and trust built up with a board their opinion, even if it's just a sensible like, this is stupid, this is yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's better than trying to rewrite the book.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's a very good point, well made, mate, because, yeah, I mean, you've convinced me almost in just a 20-second spell there because with Chelsea, it does seem like it's just a shit show and uh, bringing in someone technically qualified can, can add to the shit shit show storm really. Uh, and you made very good examples with the, with the coaches and stuff. Someone like check, um, very measured, uh, very professional. He's incredibly intelligent. Like, I've, yes, I, you super, ju- yeah. yeah, you hear journalists talk about, he can talk to him about like commodities and like, and like, yeah. you know, like all things in the world knowledge. And he's a very good, he's, he's cool. He's like a good professional. And even though he's a goalkeeper, he's only, He's still playing today. Like he'll only just retire then. So even if he's um not at the peak of his powers or he's not an outfield player, he's around shit hot players that are like young, and he knows like okay, you know he's not like um, Balak would probably be good for the reasons you've said as well. But for me, Czech is is the choice Czech's out the of one, yeah. And and the and the club he, respect is such an important um <laughs> to use the word commodity again uh thing for this particular character coming in. They obviously respected Czech so much with the Arsenal move or Roman yeah. Ling, so that's hugely telling as well. And if he came back to the club to repay his respects after going to like Arsenal, saying yes, I want to be with you guys, um, I think that would be an excellent move after after everything you've said. So, so yeah, I think I think we I think we've sort of hit the nail on the head there with um, development. We, moving we from-
1: need someone basically. We yeah. need someone who has some footballing knowledge. And again, I, I really don't care if they go and get the the best guy in the world. Fantastic. Mm. But I just want someone who can talk to the board mm. and say, you know what, buying this player is stupid because we've bought so we bought badly for so many years. Yeah, well, a a account, conned, yeah, yeah. The, the occasional player we've got right, but we've got far more wrong in the in the last I think the last five five years. So no yeah, last five five six years from uh, from winning the Champions League, we've spent mm. over nine hundred million pounds on players, right. and you look at the squad and you're like, yeah, mm. where is it? <laughs>
0: it's almost yeah, it's a, it, weird analogy as well. It's almost like um the value of getting a getting a some advice from a loving family member yeah over like some maybe like not i don't want to say therapy, highly trained therapist but some like advisor do you know yeah, what i mean like yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah he's got some sort of look about him that you think oh he's a bit of a dickhead but if your brother comes and goes look mate i know you um really well and i think you know you're, you're being silly here you need to drop what you're doing and do that okay i'll listen to you you know brother i know that's a bit of a sort of an emotional yeah. analogy but it's true right to a degree um okay joe so yeah i think we've we've covered so much mate we've um, the players performance is sorry the problems of the club um we've you know we've, we've covered it all but i um i do want to urge the listeners to go and to go and read your your article because it doesn't capture a lot about what we've what we've talked about um um and it, and it sort of gives narrative and a bit of a timeline. So do you wanna do you wanna tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can find um this article?
1: Yeah, so I mean I've I've recently kind of dusted off the keyboard once again to start writing. Yeah. So the majority of what I write will be on Football London. Um if you go over there and just look at the Chelsea stuff, there's probably two or three articles from me this week um to to have a look at and in terms of social medias, it's just Joe Tweedy um just yeah I, I follow yannick so you'll probably uh you'll probably pick me up
0: yeah. Well. yeah well I'll I'll, I'll I'll tag you and, and plug um and plug in the tweet yeah and uh it's, I, i've tweeted a, uh, about that said article that the one i wanted to talk to joe about so you'll be able to find that um and yeah just football london hey joe thanks so much for coming on mate it's been a it's been really interesting uh, as i as expected and um hopefully get you on again and we'll have some uh Super positive stuff to talk about, one way or another, mate. It would be great to
1: have one podcast where we can enjoy something, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the listeners, I tell you, what, the listeners have got a lot of decent content from this, and uh, you know, I think I feel like the fact how we've surfaced direction, we're not, you know, we're not completely scratching our heads and feel lost. We've we've identified issues, and and uh, we've identified said issues from positives of Chelsea. So in that, I think we've had some positives, mate. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. All right, well, yeah, Thanks again for coming on, mate. As promised, one excellent episode. That was, ladies and gents, interesting times at Chelsea Football Club. Um, Never a dull moment, I'm sure you'll all agree. And um, interesting times ahead, one way or another. Whether you're sorry in, sorry out, shake it all about, wedro out. (laughs) Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode, guys. Please tell your friends about Yannick and Chelsea. If you have Chelsea uh, fans that are friends and listen to podcasts, why not share the fun, eh? Please, if you're a long-term listener and you haven't given me a rating on iTunes, apparently that helps. I don't know much about it, but, you know, if it can help me out, get on there and give me a five-star rating and maybe write a nice review because that makes me feel all warm inside. And we are a Chelsea family. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, up the Chelsea, Keep the blue flag, flying, high, eye, carefree, wherever you may be. And let's beat Spurs.